sage and fighting the fight. He has fought cities. He has fought counties. Politicians. Naysayers. Hell, he's even fought mayors. Thank you for listening to Sage and the Houseless Movement, a weekly show dedicated to the news and views of the homeless locally and worldwide. And all other things considered homeless? Yes. Broadcasting live from your Alexa device, the Radio Free Network app, iOS, WMBU.org, Many Voices United, and the Radio Free Network.com. And now, from some wooded area in Akron, Ohio, here is Sage the Rage Lewis. What is up, party people? What is up? I'm not really in a wooded, I mean, I'm in a house. So technically, I am in a wooded area. So, but maybe not. <laughs> like, I, I've never done this show, honestly, in at a, a homeless camp. I certainly could. Uh, I did it once in my car, but uh, not at a homeless camp. I do think about like where this is all headed at the show. I mean, and, and what, what I want to do. Um, you know, I kind of like that whole rush Limbaugh, uh, you know, one person show. I, I, I like, I get all stressed out when there's guests because, a lot of times it goes in ways I don't want it to go. And then I'm like, I can't be cool with that. And I get all like, you know, totally non-zen about it. And I'm like, man, you're just talking forever and ever. And meanwhile, that's all I do is talk forever and ever. But uh, that might be something to consider. Um, but I do know that like radio hosts fight with callers all the time. They just start rambling and rambling. You know, they're like, eh, my name is Bob William Seaver the third. And I'm from Massachusetts. I'm up in the Hills of Massachusetts. I've been here for 40 years and I really would just thank you for letting me have a moment. I, I was like, Oh my God, just shoot me now. You know, that's what callers are like. You know it. So I don't know. I don't, yeah, but it adds a little extra dynamic to the whole thing. And I guess you can manage your callers. Um, I've got some interesting friends. <laughs> um, pretty much anybody now. When I was a bartender, when I started bartending after college, uh, the head bartender of Medina Country Club that um, I eventually ended up stealing his job. It was not my intention to steal his job. It, I came in and uh, he had been there for a while and he was getting grumpy and that sort of thing, but I did a really good job. I was doing well. And then they just were like, hey, man, we're going to let Kenny go and you're going to be the head bartender. And I'm like, what? What? I didn't mean to screw this guy over, but literally that was his whole career. And I just had fucked him. Uh, unbeknownst to me. And I uh, felt really bad about it. Um, I probably should have left then. 
because, well, I didn't have that moral backbone that I have now. You know, I came to uh, activism um, and standing up for people's rights really late in life. I am not a natural like some of my friends are. Some people are just like born into it. Uh, they're just naturally understanding of the needs of society. And it took me a long time. I'm just a business guy that uh, was having a midlife crisis and I decided to run for mayor. And uh, I ran as an independent and you have to get a ton of signatures as an independent because we live in a country that is uh, run by Democrats and Republicans and they don't want outsiders in. So they make it really challenging to get on a ballot as an independent. And then people by and large don't understand that and they just vote down party lines. So not only do you spend a ton of time running as an independent, but then um, you really face an uphill battle of why people should not vote for who they always vote for in their own party, you know? Um, but that's, yeah, that's just the brainwashing of the two party system of America. But anyways, I was out there trying to get signatures to run for uh, mayor of Akron, Ohio. And the only people primarily that talked to me were homeless people. Um, and it really blew my mind because honest to God, I thought, I just thought homeless people were like what were on the movies, you know, that like dirty old man that's drunk in the corner with no teeth. And but these people were uh, all different ages, men and women, uh, LGBTQIA, all kinds of people blowing my mind. Like I was like a, a fire hose of new awareness of my community. And uh, most of all, though, that really blew my mind was how wealth. Um, how thoughtful they were, how incredibly aware of their surroundings and their city they were and of the government and what the government and society has done to them uh, and left them stranded on the street. And I just was blown away, blown away. And of course, I didn't become mayor. I didn't even get on the ballot because my signatures didn't validate because my signatures were from homeless people who um, were not registered, you know, to vote, but that was fine because it, it, uh, got me on this path, you know, and, um, I really am thankful to be on this path because it opened my eyes to all the people in my own city, just in my own little city. It's like 190,000 people. Akron, Ohio is that are not like me, do not look like me, lead a different life, wildly different life than me. And I didn't know them at all. I was living in my little middle-class cocoon, living where middle-class white people are supposed to live, doing what middle-class white people are supposed to do, happy as a lark. Well, except for my midlife crisis, which you know, was just natural, but really you should just go buy a Corvette or something. But I decided to run for mayor. I didn't decide to become a humanitarian. I just wanted to try something different. But it led me down this amazing path of where I am today. And that's how society wants to keep it. It wants to keep it segregated. Uh, 
It does not want you to realize the pain and suffering of the masses of millions and millions and millions of people that are suffering in America. How many Americans don't have health insurance? I'm asking Google this. Uh, let's see. However, beginning in the in 2017, the number of uninsured non-elderly elderly Americans increased for three straight years, growing by 2.2 million from 26.7 million to 28.9 million people. Okay. The uninsured rate increased from 10% in 2016 to 10.9% in 2019. 20, I mean, can you even imagine what 28 million people is? How many people live in New York City? 8.4 million, okay? 8.4 million. So 8 goes into 26, basically three times. It's it's larger than three New York cities, okay? Okay. It's massive amounts of people that have, um, that are uninsured. How many Americans are food insecure? Man, I wish she wouldn't talk to me. I, you can't hear her, but I'm just over her, over her talking to me. Ugh. In 2019, 89.5% of U.S. households were food secure throughout the year. The remaining 10.5% of houses were food insecure at least some of the time during the year, including 4.1% or 5.3 million households that had very low food security. Food insecurity was lower in 2019 than in 2018. So 4.1%, that's 5.3 million houses. 5.3 million houses, houses, households, sorry. How many households are in New York City? 3.2 million households, okay? It's not quite two New York Cities. 5.3 million households had very low food security. That's why many schools offer free lunch and free breakfast. Kids are starving out here. They're starving. Hunger in America. This is Feeding America. Millions of children and families living in America face hunger and food insecurity every day. Due to the effects of of the coronavirus pandemic, more than 50 million people may may have experienced food insecurity. 50 million people, including potential 17 million children. I know, you see, the problem with these numbers is you can't even get it, okay? Can you imagine if your entire city, your entire city, was food insecure. It wouldn't be a drop. 
in the food insecurity bucket of that is America. 50 million people experience food insecurity. According to the USDA household food insecurity in the United States report, more than 35 million people in the United States struggled with hunger in 2019. 2018, 14.3 million American households were food insecure with limited or uncertain access to food. Households with children are more likely to experience food insecurity. If you have kids, it's likely you're going to have more food insecurity. Before coronavirus, more than 10 million children lived in food insecure households. Every community in the country is home to families who struggle with food insecurity, including rural and suburban areas. It's one of the reasons I fight for uh, the Appalachians, the white people. Uh, because liberals tend to judge them and look down on them. They, you know, we just box them up as racist, ignorant assholes, you know, meth addicts. They're starving out there, people. Their kids are starving. But if you're a, if you're a middle class person, you don't know anybody that's starving. You, you have to, you eat so much, you have to stop eating. I'm on a diet right now because I have so much food. So it's not like if I didn't do this work, I'd be lucky to even hear these numbers, let alone empathize with them and meet the people, live with the people. Work with these people that are starving in America. How many Americans cannot afford rent? 9.8 million. The latest Pulse survey estimates that 9.8 million adults are in households not caught up on rent. Not caught up on rent over the larger than New York City. According to new research by Harvard University, almost 40 million Americans, 40 million Americans live in housing they cannot afford. Ownership, home ownership has gone down. Rental prices keep going up, meaning that millions of residents are forced to pay more than they reasonably should. Home ownership keeps declining, according to Joint Centers for Housing Studies, detailed in a comprehensive 2017 State of the Nation housing report. Uh, in part because home prices in many markets have continued to go up while wages have not kept pace. Do you understand how that works? Housing prices are going up. Wages are stagnant. You see, you see what I'm saying? Can you understand that? You keep making the same amount of money, but your house keeps getting more and more expensive. Do you see how that's unsustainable as an entire country? 2016, the home ownership rate fell to 63.4%, marking the 12th consecutive year of declines. Why? 
because houses are too damn expensive. Simple. You can't afford to own a house. A lot of people would like to buy or stuck renting, Harvard reports. The surge in rental demand that began in 2005 are broad-based, including several types of households that traditionally prefer home ownership. Um, and here's the thing. If people need more... If people need more rentals... The price of rent goes up. It's a guy next door lives. There's an apartment complex next door to me. He's living in an apartment that's $900 in Akron, Ohio. I don't know if it's a two bedroom. Might be a two bedroom. I'm not totally sure. But he's not supposed to live there. He can't afford rent. You know why he can't afford rent? Because he has a felony on his record. Oh, no, 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 that's not it. He does have a felony. This is what was happening. He uh, is a recovering drug addict, and uh, he was doing something with Catholic Charities where they have a peer recovery program. And so you go and get this uh, peer recovery, um, like, it's not a degree. It's like a you know, piece of paper. You go watch some classes. You become a you become a peer recovery coach, and then they pay you to do peer recovery with uh, people that are trying to get off of uh, drugs, alcohol. Well, COVID hit, and they shut that program down. That program, as soon as he got his, uh, you know, his permit or whatever, I don't know why I can't think of that word. They shut the program down. He had a car. And uh, he wanted to, I think he wanted to try to do like Grubhub. Was it, is this how it worked? Grubhub wouldn't take him because he had a felony on his record. Just cut out. So he was doing, I think he was doing, um, Delivery for a local pizza place or something? Yeah, Donato's, now that I think about it, I think. I I don't know if it was Donato's. I can't remember now. But this is the guy that just lives next door, okay? This is one guy. The reason was was because he got a flat tire and I was helping him with his tire. A young guy, you know, never changed a tire before. And I'm like, I know how to change a tire. I got all this stuff. I got a floor jack and I got the right tools blah 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 you know it's like what a dad like guy likes to do you know and um so you know i got to talking to him about it it's just the guy next door okay see that's the other thing in america you don't know if there's incredible suffering in your neighborhood you know why because you don't know anybody in your neighborhood You don't know your neighbors. The isolationism of capitalism serves many great purposes, but that's what capitalism is. It's very isolating because what happens is all you need is money to buy things. You don't need to barter and trade. You don't need to ask people for help. All you need is money. And so if you have money, you never have to leave your house. In fact, 
I think there's a lot of people these days that never leave their house because of coronavirus. They work at home. They shop at home. They have delivery services for their groceries. They never have to see another person. And it's great for stability of a capitalist country because then you don't know anything. The zombie apocalypse could be happening right outside your door and you don't know it. You don't know it. 500,000 people have died from coronavirus. That's what the stat I heard. Then they're like, that's more than World War One, World War II, Vietnam combined or whatever. These numbers don't mean anything to you. Maybe your grandma died from coronavirus. Some of you have gotten crushed by coronavirus. Some of you have been crushed by it. But, you know, you put a little post out on Facebook and people hold you in the light and people send you thoughts and prayers and then that's it. And they get back to their regularly scheduled programming of watching. What are we watching now? I don't even know. I don't even know what we're watching. I'm watching Raised by Wolves on HBO Plus. It's good. I don't know. Oh, there's something. There's like um, a crime series people are telling me to watch about a hotel in uh, um, L.A. on uh, where all the tents are in L.A. I'm on a diet, guys, and my head is very foggy. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Skid Row. Uh, what is it? The Siena Hotel, the Sierra Hotel. I don't know. Something like that. And I, I might go check that out. But that's it. We just buy our way into some sort of mediocre existence. Truly, I truly, truly, truly believe we are um, leading less happy lives. <laughs> um, some of us are content. We're taking drugs. We're exercising. We're watching TV. We're eating right. We're content. We're not happy. You can't be happy in a society like that because it's not, that's not human. <laughs> it's not human the way we live. After the Industrial Revolution, we lost our humanity. We just started shutting ourselves up in our little boxes. It's the homeless people that um, are truly connected community-wise. I find that we have a lot to learn from them. But yeah, these numbers, we can't understand any of these numbers. We can't understand any of these numbers. Um, and so if literally, if it doesn't happen to you, it's not happening. Because, you know, when was the last time you went and sat down for a cup of coffee with a friend? <laughs> It literally, the doctors don't even recommend it. <laughs> and if you have a friend, I guarantee you're not going to want to put yourself in an uncomfortable situation where your friend is from a different socioeconomic position than you because you're going to feel guilty. As you tell, as they tell you how their kids, you know, didn't eat yesterday and how, 
their internet went out and so they don't know how their kids are going to go to school and you're sitting in your designer clothes, just came back from yoga class with a nice glow and sipping a $5 Starbucks coffee that your friend that you brought to Starbucks can't possibly afford. Yeah, that's terrible. You're never going to do that. <laughs> you're never going to do that. So we just isolate ourselves and it relieves pain. I don't think it brings suffering or it, does, it doesn't bring happiness, but it relieves pain. And, and our brains are really attuned to just relieving pain, like make the pain go away. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that is how we live. And so we have millions and millions and millions of people and children and senior citizens and all nationalities. Don't forget the Native Americans. Just suffering like Fundamental human suffering. And it becomes like uh, the Hunger Games where people live in the capital. And then we have all these districts where the poor people are living. And, you know, there might be some news about those, but nobody's going out to them. Certainly nobody's leaving the capital. Nobody's leading, leaving their fancy life to be with the people that are suffering. You know, you're going to read a headline and be like, oh, that's so sad. Oh, that's so sad. That's so sad. It's not really that sad. It doesn't change your life. All the major chocolate manufacturers are making chocolate with children's slave labor. You going to stop eating chocolate? <laughs> not if you want chocolate, you're not. And they know it. They talked about 20 years ago how they were going to stop uh, child slave labor. <laughs> 20 years ago. They're not going to stop it. You know why? Because not only do you want chocolate, you want cheap chocolate. You don't want that high-end slave-free chocolate. That stuff doesn't even taste that good, and it's too damn expensive. And so, um, and of course, you know, your iPhone, Amazon, all of it is tied up into slave labor, cruelty to people. And, you know, you're not going to change your life because somebody in a faraway country is being exploited. To the point where they have to put up nets so when they jump off of the railings, they can't kill themselves. <laughs> and so ultimately, um, you know, we like to blame the bad people, you know, the drug dealers. There was a big drug bust here in Akron. And I went to the page on 
the police page on Facebook and everybody's like, ah, oh, I'm so glad you're cleaning up the trash, taking the trash out, getting the garbage off the street. And they're talking about people, you know, people. So, you know, who's worse? The drug dealer who is filling a need and making a living or all the other people that sit in judgment, not knowing, not thinking about them, not empathizing, just quickly calling them trash. We could kill our drug dealers and people wouldn't care. So who's to blame? The drug dealers are a product of a, of a system where kids can't eat. Millions and millions of kids can't eat. And people can't afford their rent. They can't afford to buy a house. They can't afford health insurance. And then you have the audacity to call them animals, to call them garbage. And we do it to addicts, too. Sex workers. Sometimes if you get a real enlightened person, they'll have pity on them. I pity those people. That's judgment. Pity is just judgment. It's a way of looking down, making yourself feel self-righteous. It's us. the middle-class white people. We are the problem. When you see a problem in America that is systemic, it does not take many steps to get back to the fact that American white middle-class people are propping up that system. I went to the Black Hills a few years back. Were the Black Hills given to the Native Americans? I just want to refresh my memory on this. Okay. So, in 1868, two nations made a treaty. The U.S. broke it. And plain Indian tribes are still seeking justice. The American Indian Museum puts the 150-year-old Fort Laramie Treaty on view as national exhibit. So check this out. The pages of American history are littered with broken treaties. Some of the earliest are still being contested. The Fort Laramie Treaty of 1868 remains the center of a land dispute. that brings into question the very meaning of international agreements and who has the right to adjudicate them when they break down. So check it. In 1868, the United States entered into a treaty with a collective Native American bands, historically known as the Sioux, which is Dakota, Lakota, and Nakota, and Arapaho. The treaty established the Great Sioux Reservation, a large swath of lands west of the Missouri River. It also designated the Black Hills as unceded Indiana to Indian territory for the exclusive use of Native people. But... When gold was found in the Black Hills, 
the United States reneged on their agreement, redrawing the boundaries of the treaty and confining the Sioux people, traditionally nomadic hunters, to a farming lifestyle on the reservation. It was a blatant abrogation that has been the center of legal debate ever since. So what happened was some white people went out to the Black Hills, found gold, and they were like, hey, we want to mine this gold. And the United States government said, no problem. Redrew the treaty lines so white people could go out and mine the gold. But here's the thing. There really wasn't that much gold there. They dug it for a while, found it wasn't really great, and left. But America still kept the Black Hills. Do I need to talk about slavery? I don't know if you know this or not, but slaves were Africans and slaveholders were white Europeans. Okay. Many people had slaves. Many people. How many presidents brought slaves to the White House? Presidents brought slaves to the White House. Nine presidents. Did enslaved people help build the White House? Enslaved laborers helped in every stage of building construction, from the initial quarrying and transportation of stone to the construction of the executive mansion. They worked alongside craftsmen, white wage laborers, and other free African-American wage laborers. Did enslaved people help rebuild the White House after the British burned it down in 1814? Enslaved laborers were involved in the reconstruction of the White House. Evidence suggests there were fewer enslaved workers involved in the reconstruction than the initial construction of 1792 to 1800. Which U.S. presidents relied on enslaved labor at the White House? According to surviving documentation, at least nine presidents either brought with them or hired out enslaved individuals to work at the White House. Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, James Monroe, John Quincy Adams, Andrew Jackson, Martin Van Buren, John Tyler, James K. Polk, and Zachary Taylor. Which U.S. presidents owned slaves? George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, James Monroe, Andrew Jackson, Martin Van Buren, William Henry Harrison, J John Tyler, James K. Polk, Zachary Taylor, Andrew Johnson, and Ulysses S. Grant. We have to stop looking around and people to judge and start looking at ourselves, white people. It's our fault. And yeah, I know you don't like these uh, 
these racial sensitivity trainings and, you know, and, you know, you didn't have slaves. You benefit from a society that enslaved, genocided, and murdered people and still does. Does sex, sorry. Does sex slavery go up on Super Bowl Sunday? ESPN, the Super Bowl remains target for human trafficking. Human trafficking is known as the action of practices illegally transporting people from one country or area to another, typically for the purposes of forced labor or sexual exploitation. According to the UN-backed International Labor Organization, globally it is estimated up to 40 million people today are affected by this industry. In 2019 alone, per the Institute for Sports and Social Justice's shutout trafficking program, there were 2,907 individuals arrested, suspected, or charged with human trafficking activities in the United States. The magnitude is often dramatically increased leading up to and during large sporting and entertaining events. Entertainment events. According to the reporting by ESPN, more than a thousand people have died in Qatar, Qatar as a result of labor trafficking to build new facilities for the 2022 World Cup. Now human trafficking is a focus of upcoming Super Bowl in Miami. This is, I don't know when this was. We still do it. When we want what we want, we get what we want. You are enabling slave trade with the phone you are using, with the shopping you are you doing, the chocolate you are eating. It's your fault, white people. It is your fault. All of it is your fault. All of it. The drug dealers are your fault. The homelessness is your fault. The poverty is your fault. The addiction is your fault. It's all your fault. All of it. <laughs> I can't think of one systemic problem in America that isn't the fault of white people. I can't. Name me one that can't be tied back to the oppression of minorities. The war on drugs. Do you know who it hurts the most? Black people. We might as well call it the war on black people. Do you know what the 13th Amendment says? What does the 13th Amendment say? <laughs> I have to look it up. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereas the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to the jurisdiction, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall be duly convicted. Perfect. 
We don't have slavery now. We just have criminals. What percentage of the criminal population in America is black? <sighs> According to the U.S. Bureau of Social Statistics in 2018, black males accounted for 34% of the total male population. White males accounted for 29%, and Hispanic males accounted for 24%. <laughs> What percentage of America is white? 73%. Okay. Can you hold two numbers in your head right now, white people? Can you do it? 73% of America is white. 29% of the prison population is white. Can you see the disparity of how that's not equal? Do you think white people aren't doing drugs and doing bad shit? <laughs> if you do, you live in a dream world. They get away with it more. You know why? Because white people run the police stations and they go to black communities looking for the dirt, looking for the animals. I've heard. Police use those words. Twenty nine percent of the prison population is white. <laughs> Here's what the NWACP says. Criminal justice system is heavily impacted by the bias of police mentality, as well as outdated judicial precedents, largely driven by racial disparities, which directly obstruct and deconstruct our minority communities. Our, the origins of our modern day police mentality can be traced back to the slave patrol. The earliest formal slave patrol was created in the Carolinas in the 1700s with the following mission to establish a system of terror in response to slave uprisings with the capacity to pursue, apprehend and return runaway slaves to their owners, including the use of excessive force to control control and produce desired slave behavior. Slave patrols allowed forcible entry into anyone's home solely based on the suspicion of protecting runaway slaves. Welcome to Nazi Germany, ladies and gentlemen. We did it way before the Nazis. Slave patrols continued until the end of the Civil War with the passage of the 13th Amendment. Do you remember the 13th Amendment? We're outlawing <laughs> slavery except for criminals. Following the Civil War, that's after the Civil War, <laughs> during the Reconstruction period, slave patrols were replaced by militia-style groups who were empowered to control and deny access to equal rights to freed slaves that looked to join the workforce and integrate with society. Their work included the enforcement of black codes, strict local and state laws that regulated and restricted access to labor, wages, voting rights, and general freedoms for formerly enslaved people. 19, in 1868, ratification of the 14th Amendment technically granted equal protections by laws of constitutional rights for African Americans, essentially meant to abolish black codes. 
Shortly after the abolishment of black crows, Jim Crow laws and state and local statutes that legalized racial segregation were enacted. Jim Crow laws looked to vanquish all protected rights of African-Americans. By the 1900s, local municipalities began to construct police departments to enforce by the 1900s. Okay began to construct police departments to enforce local laws in areas of the East Coast and Midwest, including Jim Crow laws. Local municipalities leaned on police to enforce and exert excessive brutality on the African-Americans who had violated any Jim Crow law. Jim Crow laws continued through the end of the 1960s. Since then, African-American communities have continued to be under surveillance, targeted by police, including but not limited to the era of war on drugs and mass incarceration. Just because you don't think about racism doesn't mean you aren't propping up a racist system. You living in America as a white person that shops on Amazon, that gets the latest iPhone, that gets Harry London chocolate on Valentine's Day. Everything about you is supporting racism. Everything. That's the whole point, people. The fact that you don't think you're racist means you have no idea who you are in society. You want to be tough on crime. They love that. They love it. The white people want us to be tough on crime. So there we go. Let us get over to the black communities and find us some crime. And then we can enslave them. How much money do people make working in prison? <sighs> According to the Federal Bureau of Prisons, federal earn inmates earn 12 cents to 40 cents per hour for jobs serving the prison. 23 cents to $1.15 per hour in federal prison industry factories. Prisoners are increasingly working for private companies. Does Texas pay its prison inmates to work? This came up during COVID. Texas inmates paid $2 an hour to move COVID-19 victim bodies. Amid a spike of COVID-19 cases, Texas El Paso County was paying prison inmates $2 an hour to move the bodies of deceased victims of the disease. While prison labor is a common practice across the U.S., the reliance on inmates to handle the task of moving corpses is raising questions about the ethics of such work. Oh, really? The county has nine inmates who are working to move the bodies. It's 100% voluntary. It's great that these individuals are stepping up and volunteering to assist the community in dire need. <laughs> voluntary. To be sure, prison labor isn't unusual. Prisons rely on inmates to perform jobs for little or no pay, but the context of relying on inmates for poor risky work is, you know, 
Uh, I'm pretty sure in recent years, prisoners have gone on strike to protest work conditions and low pay. Well, yeah, it says, while the 13th Amendment outlaws slavery, it includes one exception, people who are duly convicted of a crime. Because of that exception, prisoners can be paid nothing for their labor. And in fact, five states, including Texas, where jobs, prison jobs are unpaid. It says average wage for prisoners for jobs that aren't performed for the prison ranges from 14 cents to 63% cents an hour, according to the nonprofit advocacy group. The inmates may not do uh, the inmates may not be doing the work for much longer. Okay, wait. Okay, so uh, these people, primarily black people, the highest percentage of males in prison, higher percentage than white people, have just become slaves. It's how we got around it, people. We just keep coming around it. What companies use prison labor? 12 major corporations. Uh, Let's see. Here are some of the biggest corporations. McDonald's uses inmates to produce frozen food. Inmates uh, process beef for patties. They may also process bread, milk, chicken, and products. Wendy's, uh, the inmates process beef for patties. Walmart, inmates uh, for manufacturing purposes. The company hires inmates to clean products for UPC of UPC barcodes so the products can be resold. Starbucks. Uh, hired Washington state prisoners to package holiday coffees. Sprint inmates are used in call centers. Verizon, uh, provide telecommunication centers, Victoria's secret, uh, female inmates were used to sew pro- um, products. Uh, the inmates reportedly have been used to replace made in tags with made in the USA tags, <laughs> probably pulling off like tags from other countries. But now that we have slaves in America, they're made in the USA. Fidelity investments, uh, JC Penny and Kmart sell jeans made by inmates, uh, air, uh, American airlines and Avis, um, use inmates to take reservations. So these massive corporations are getting cheap as hell slave labor. They're using slave labor, okay? Just because the 13th Amendment says that only criminals can be slaves doesn't mean that it's right. All these companies are using slaves, okay? They're slaves. That's all they are. Whether or not you think they deserve to be slaves, I guess is a matter for debate, but they are slaves. 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 Starbucks uses slaves. Wendy's uses slaves. Walmart uses slaves. Verizon uses slaves. Sprint uses slaves. Victoria's Secret uses slaves. You understand? 
you are using products made by slaves. Now, it'd be one thing if you said, well, the prisoner can't get the money, but it goes to his family. Because I'll tell you what, going to jail doesn't happen in a vacuum. All these African-American communities are decimated because we're pulling all their black men into prisons to make them slaves. And we leave their families to fend for themselves. Do you know what group of people has the highest eviction rate in America? Black women, black moms. You think that's just a coincidence? You are racist. You can not think about race at all. You can love black people. You can be like, I'm married to a black person. My whole family is mixed. I've, I, I adopt only black people from Africa. I, I love them. You are still racist. In fact, you're worse because you're propagating a lie that all of us aren't racist. We live in a system that is built on slavery of black people. <laughs> and if it's not black people, well, it is like our chocolate made by black kids, African kids on the Gold Coast, slave children, slave black people, put a piece of chocolate in your mouth and taste the sweet, sweet slavery. Okay. <laughs> of black people. I'm not even trying to stretch your imagination of slavery and oppression and genocide with the Uyghurs in China. Your little liberal brain probably can't even handle that bullshit. What companies use Chinese labor that is slave labor? <sighs> 83 major brands implicated in a report on forced labor of ethnic minorities from Xinjiang assigned to factories across, across provinces includes company responses. Okay, you want to hear some? I can't give you all 83, but let me give you the, 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 the high points. Nike, BMW, Puma, Apple, Amazon, Adidas. <laughs> Eighty-three companies, huge companies. And this is the Uyghur forced labor program, okay? These are these ethnic minorities in China that China is um sterilizing, abusing and enslaving. And may I say, our president, Joe, the great liberal Biden, has come off to say that the genocide of uh, Uyghurs in China, which 
the Trump administration took a stance on. Just a cultural difference. It's a cultural difference. When you voted for Joe Biden, you voted for genocide. Not to mention the, we, the, 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 the mass incarceration that he created under the Bill Clinton thing. You're guilty of this. You're guilty of slavery, of racism, of genocide. You white people with your money. Looking for the best deals. The cheapest prices. Pulling in all these products from China. China doesn't give a shit about human rights. They don't give a shit about that. They're the ones selling all our fentanyl to us uh, over the dark web via FedEx. It's where we get our fentanyl now for street fentanyl. You just get a FedEx to your door from China. They don't give a shit about people. And that's you. You're supporting that. <laughs> Do you understand why you're racist? You're racist at the fundamental, you don't, you can love every black person you see. Every black person you see, you give them a hug and say, I love you. But if you have Adidas <laughs> on your feet, Nike on your feet, you're supporting slavery. If you're eating chocolate from Nestle and Hershey, you're supporting slavery of African children, black African children. <laughs> we got to wake up to this. It's our fault. We're the ones propagating it. If we would stop buying the shit, it'd be over. That's just too much, Sage. You're asking too much. What? I can't get the new iPhone? I need chocolate. I love it. It's the one, it's my one thing. It's my one thing. It's my chocolate. I like my Victoria's Secret outfits. Where else am I gonna get uh phone service other than Sprint and Verizon? I mean, they're the best. I love going to Walmart. I mean, it's just so, those deals are so good. I, Starbucks, Sage, Starbucks. I love it so much. It's just the one thing. You support racism and slavery and genocide by buying stuff. You get it? All right. Peace out, people. Thank you for listening to Sage and the Houseless Movement, a weekly show dedicated to the news and views of the homeless locally and worldwide.